You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. I'm going to preach uh, Mark 14, 22 through 25, which is just four verses. Now, um, I know some of y'all get excited and like, okay, it'll be a short sermon. Um, I make no promises, all right? But, um, but I, there, is a, there is a lot to unpack here, even though it's only four verses, because in this is the detail of why we carry out the ceremony of the Lord's Supper. And it's an important detail, it's an important principle, and an important doctrine of the church, and so I want to uh, do that justice. And so if, if you have a Bible, um, open it up or turn it on to Mark 14, verse 22. And let me go ahead and just read the passage um, for us. It says, As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus here is beginning a new tradition for the church. Um, He calls this, some manuscripts even insert the word new, He calls this the blood of the covenant or of the new covenant. There's an important doctrine that Jesus is passing on to his church and to his disciples as he institutes what we know as communion, um, which the early church called the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. Now, every family has traditions, right? Um, And and sometimes we don't look at them as traditions. Um, Sometimes we kind of miss the fact that we are traditional, but we are a traditional people, Uh, We love to continue to do things that we've always done. We're creatures of habit by nature. I think God has designed us in that way because routine and habitual act is actually helpful for us in the learning process and helpful for us in just our our, uh, rhythms of life and rest and work and things like that. And um, and so we tend to be a traditional people. And, um, And when things disrupt that, um, tradition, it can, it can cause a little bit of friction in our lives. Like when we were um, doing foster care and children would move into our home, I remember a frequent saying that we had to say was, in this family, um, and a matter of fact, our, our littles still say that quite frequently. Um, well, it, I don't know how you do it in your family, but in, in our family, we believe this, or in our family, we do this. Um, and it was a way of kind of um, establishing the foundation of the principles and values of the Basham family. Well, in the church, we are described as a family. And in the, our family, this is how we do things. Uh, the church is given two sacraments or ordinances or traditions uh, called baptism and communion. Um, ordinance is a word that describes a, a ceremony. Sacrament is a word that describes a means of grace. Um, And so I actually prefer the word sacrament because it it communicates that through baptism and communion that God is doing something supernatural. He's not saving us through those things. It's not by those works that we go to heaven like some uh, churches and denominations teach. That's not the case. We're saved only by grace. But in those ceremonial acts, in those symbolic acts, we actually receive grace from God. There's something supernatural that occurs in them. And these are the two things that the church is given to carry out these sacraments, to carry out their, the symbolism and tradition of the gospel. Baptism is a symbol of birth, and it's a symbol of resurrection. Uh, just like we are raised to life in Christ, we are raised from the waters of baptism. And baptism is something that happens when you are born again. 
Uh, Presbyterians and Catholics say it's something that happens when you're born. We as Baptists say it's something that happens when you're born again. Um, but everybody agrees that baptism is supposed to happen when you're born in one way or another. The Bible makes that clear. And so baptism mirrors becoming alive, like, like birth. Communion, on the other hand, mirrors staying alive. Now, all of you guys have been born, right? Amen? Okay. All right. Most of you. Okay. I won't even ask if you've been born again. I don't want to worry about who wouldn't say amen to that. Um, we'll let the Lord deal with you. But uh, we've all been born, and you're all alive right now. Amen? And so to be alive right now, that means you've had to do certain things to stay alive. One of the main things you do to stay alive is eat. And so where baptism mirrors becoming alive through birth, communion mirrors staying alive through a meal. It's meant to be done continually. Where baptism is done once, you're born once, you eat a lot. You eat repeatedly. So where baptism is done once because we're born once, communion is done often because we eat often. And Jesus establishes this tradition of communion. And he says, anytime we do it, uh, we're to do it in remembrance of him. And he doesn't just say anytime we do the ceremonial act. He says, um, anytime that you eat, you're supposed to remember him. And it's kind of an audacious request, right? Unless he's God, which he is. But if he's not God, like, like okay, so if yeah, I've been joking about macaroni and cheese for homecoming. So it would be one thing for me to say, like, every time y'all eat macaroni and cheese, I want you to think of me, like after I die. All right, I, let's just go ahead and establish that. I would love nothing more when I'm dead and gone for y'all, especially young people who are going to Kings Island today. Y'all should outlive me. Every time y'all eat mac and cheese after I'm dead and gone, just remember me. Just like drop a couple noodles in the ground for me, okay? And, but, but Jesus picked something very common. Bread and wine were the two most common elements of every meal. It was, I mean, it's like ranch dressing for the American, right? It's just like with everything. And, and in that culture, it was something that was always on the table. And so Jesus is saying that, that really, I, I believe what Jesus is getting at is every time that we eat, we're ought to, we ought to remember Jesus. And, and that's what, just as a sidebar, that's why we, generally speaking, pray before we eat a meal. Because we're supposed to remember Jesus. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 sheds some light on this tradition. Verse 23, Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth, and he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And listen to what Jesus says. Do this in remembrance of me. Do it in a memorial of me, in remembrance of me. Um, every year in the Basham family, um, around June 10th, which is my birthday, we go to Audra State Park Campsite 4. All right, So um, that's just like a tradition um, that we have. And one time we were there, and um, one, of my, one of my sons was saying, Dad, I love that we come here for your birthday. It's just the best campsite. It's the best spot. And one day when you're dead, we're going to come here still. And it... <laughs> And it was like so weird and morbid, but also kind of sweet. Because I, I just imagine in my head, I hope I die old, but like it just in my mind, I imagine like my adult children all gathering at Campsite 4 at Audra and like eating macaroni and cheese, right? <laughs> so, I just want that to happen after I'm in heaven. Um, 
And so Jesus here is saying, this act, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And he's asking his disciples to continue a tradition after his death in honor of him. And so we are to remember Jesus' death in communion um, and remember his resurrection in baptism. Those are pictures of the gospel given to the church, sacraments. Um, And many of us, um, or many have asked us why why we do communion every week at our church. It's one of the most commonly asked questions that the pastors get. And listen, I get it. I get that it's not normative for churches, especially around here, to take communion every single week. Um, and I want to just take a minute. This is like the most fitting sermon to address that. So I want to take a moment to explain why we take communion every week at our church. Um, the, the main reason is because when we read the Bible, we get the sense that the first century church did that. And if if the first century church did that, if the apostles did that, then we think we ought to do that as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.25 adds this note to it. By the way, in the book of Acts, you see them meeting, and every time they're meeting, it says they're breaking bread. Now, that could be eating a meal together. We could have a potluck every Sunday, which I know some of y'all would love, but logistically, it would be annoying eventually. Um, But... But it says they're breaking bread together. I think that's a, that's a hat tip to them uh, taking communion every Sunday. But in 1 Corinthians 11, um, Paul continues to write in the same passage, and he says this in the next verse. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, he doesn't say, do it often. Um, he says, as often as you do it. So it doesn't. It, it, there's not a clear command in the Bible to take communion every week. And so if you... Um, have family in another church, or if you have another church you love, or, or what have you, and they don't take communion every week, I want you to hear me very clearly. I don't think they're in sin. I don't think they're disobeying the Bible. I don't think they're wrong for not taking communion every week. Um, there, are, there are a few Sundays in the calendar year that we don't take communion. I don't think that God's mad at us for those weeks. Um, but here's what I do think, is that there is an indication that it should be more on the frequent side rather than on the sparse side. Um, Gordon Fee says this about that particular passage. He says, The addition of the words as often in particular implies a frequently repeated action, suggesting that from the beginning the Last Supper was for Christians not an annual Christian Passover, but a regularly repeated meal in honor of the Lord, hence the Lord's Supper. And so, like the church I grew up in, we took communion on fifth Sunday nights. Now, we have a lot of people that only came to church on Sunday morning. Some of y'all are Sunday morning only Christians. Um, I ain't hating on you, but you need to grow up a little bit. All right, that's another sermon for another time. But, um, but we had a lot of people in our church growing up that only came to church on Sunday mornings. And, and as I look back on that, it broke my heart to think about that they never took communion, like ever, because our church only did it on fifth Sunday nights. Um, when we planted our church, I had a conviction that I wanted to do communion more frequently than I did growing up, and we did it on a monthly basis. I thought that was a lot at the time. And so we took communion on a monthly basis uh, from the beginning of our church. And eventually, um, after study, the conviction came to our pastors that, hey, we want, even though it's countercultural where we are, we want to start doing this every week. Now, when we started to do that every week several years ago, the common objection that we get is that it won't feel as special. Okay, that is the most common objection I hear to taking communion every week. Well, it'll just lose its meaning. It won't feel special anymore. Well, listen, the specialness of a religious act has way more to do with the heart of the worshiper than it does with the frequency of the ceremony. If, if church doesn't feel special because you come every Sunday, there's something wrong in your heart, not something wrong with the church. Okay? And besides, our Appalachian culture has no problem with repetition of other things, right? 
I mean, we, we send our kids to school and they say the Pledge of Allegiance every day, and we don't have a problem with that. Repetition, we say, is good for them. And we repeat things all the time. We sing every Sunday, don't we? Every church does that. We preach every Sunday, don't we? Most churches do that. We pray every Sunday, don't we? Repetition is good for us. And if this sacrament is given to us by the Lord himself, and he says to do it repeatedly, then why would we not repeat it? Now, most churches do an altar call each Sunday, and I'm not knocking that practice. I grew up in that tradition, but that's something that we don't clearly see in the Bible. Something we clearly see in the Bible more than an altar call is communion. And I actually uh, call communion the more biblical altar call. Now, now when I grew up, what, what we did as altar call is the preacher would preach his sermon, and then Leslie Ball would come up and play piano, and she'd play just as I am, and we do the first, second, and fourth verse. You never sing a third verse. Like, I don't know why, but Baptists are against the third verse of songs. Like, that's just off limits. We do first, second, and fourth. And then sometimes we do the fourth two or three times, right? And the reason we would do that is because the preacher would come down front and he would begin to beckon people to come up and pray at the altar. And what we did as Christians is we would grip the back of the pew and we kind of look around. You know, we're like sucking on our peppermints. Like, all right, who's going to go up front this week? Who really screwed up this week? It wasn't me. I did pretty good. It was usually Kathy Basham. She usually came up front. And then when Kathy Basham would come up and kneel up front, everybody looked around like, I know what she did. Everybody start talking, like all the gossip, you know, we grew up in a small town. And, um, and so what, what an altar call did is it created a culture of the messed up, jacked up people who don't have a good relationship with Jesus need to go up front and be singled out. And I think that that can become toxic. If you don't have a good relationship with Jesus, if you're here this morning at New Heights Church and you don't have a great relationship with Jesus, today I want you to just sit back and just observe and just listen and just think about your life and your choices. What communion does is it calls not the, the, the jacked up people to leave their seats, but it calls those in a good relationship with Christ to leave their seats in realization that they're actually the jacked up people. It calls us to realize that we need repentance and grace every week. We need to walk the aisle of an altar call every week. It teaches us that coming to Christ, an invitation to Christ, is not just for whoever in our minds we deem the furthest away from Jesus. Coming to Christ is for those who are closest to Jesus. And so this is what communion does. It invites us to a table week after week after week. A repetition and a reminder that we receive grace continually because we need grace continually. All right, can I preach now? Let me give you three points. That was the introduction. I want to show you three things. Um, and, and there's three points of application today. And you remember, um, I think it's Charles Dickens, is that his name? Christmas Carol guy. He had uh, the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. That's my sermon outline today. Um, so I got to give him credit. But what we're going to see is communion is remembrance, communion is presence, and communion is also anticipation. Let's look at number one. Communion is remembrance. And so when we take communion, we are remembering something. Um, it, it, it's, it's not unlike a funeral. Pastor Jeremy's preaching, or yesterday he preached his grandfather's funeral in Virginia. He's traveling home today. Um, but when we go to a funeral, I went to, I went to three funerals this week. And when we go and attend a funeral, we are attending in respect and in memoriam of someone who has passed away. 
And that is a similar thing that we do in communion, except the one whom we are remembering has risen from the dead and conquered death. Jesus and the disciples, um, in the first institution of this, they're eating the Passover, which was a meal of remembrance. Pastor James preached about uh, this a little bit last week, how Passover was looking back to the Exodus. If you know anything about Sunday school and church history, um, when, when God's people were enslaved in Egypt, he called Moses and called them out of Egypt, and, and the, he sent ten plagues to Egypt, and the tenth plague was at the firstborn of every household would die unless there was an atonement made, a, a perfect lamb was slain, and the blood was put over the door. And if the blood was on the doorpost, then the, the death angel would pass over that home. And that's the tradition of Passover in Jewish culture. And so God called them to remember, remember that. And, um, and this is what's happening as Jesus gathers with his disciples to begin the Lord's Supper is they're observing Passover. Now, uh, Jabes also mentioned there were four cups of wine in the communion meal that symbolizes um, four different promises. And there was a script, so, so to speak, that isn't in the Bible, but it was in Jewish tradition that, that they would follow. And they kind of followed this script. And he, after they started a different cup of wine and a different portion of the meal and different spices and herbs and all these things had symbolic meaning, they would say what those promises represented. And at the third cup, Jesus had a very clear script in Jewish culture that he would have been supposed to say. But remember, it wasn't Bible. It was just tradition. And here Jesus departs from Jewish tradition to begin a new tradition, and he changes what he's going to say. He goes off script, if you will, at the third cup of wine. Danny Aiken puts it this way. He says, what he says are the words of a madman unless he is the son of God and the true Passover lamb. What Jesus says is, this is my body. This is my blood. I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He sounds crazy unless he's God teaching us something very important. He's teaching that in the same way that we eat to stay alive, the only way we will live eternally is through his death. That's what he's teaching us. And so, so to, to be in Christ, we have to consume Christ and we have to live by his death and his resurrection. Verse 22 says, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. It's symbolic of his flesh that would be torn as he is beaten before he's nailed to a cross. Jesus is making his death central to the church. Now we make a lot of things central to the church that aren't supposed to be central to the church. Christianity was never meant to be defined by miracles. Jesus did a lot of miracles, but what you see Jesus doing is, is stepping back from crowds, uh, scolding people who come just to get a miracle. Christianity was never meant to be centered on miracles. You know what else it was never meant to be centered on? Crowds. It was never meant to be centered on getting a, a big crowd of people together. It was never meant to be centered on a way of life. Jesus didn't come to teach you how to live your best life now or to give you a better diet plan or a success strategy in your life. That was never what Christianity was to be centered on. You know what else it wasn't meant to be centered on? Good teaching. Good teaching's great. I love good Bible teaching, but Christianity is not centered on your favorite pastor or podcast. No, Jesus is teaching us that Christianity and his church will be defined and centered on a bloody sacrifice and are clinging to it. Now, I get that that's not the most attractive thing. 
I get that that's not the thing that we might look for Sunday after Sunday, but Jesus is teaching us that that is the central message of Christianity, his death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel. And if all those other things, teaching and crowd gathering and way of life and miracles and whatever else, don't center on the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead, then it's, then it's antithetical to the gospel. So communion is a ceremony of continually looking back to that point that Jesus made. This is why all the communion tables in churches, we got cocktail tables because we're cool and trendy. But you, you've been in, most of y'all been in other churches, right? And they got those like wood tables and they always say, this do in remembrance of me. I used to stare at those things and say, did they get those words backwards? And then I go to another church and it said, this do in remembrance of me. I'm like, Could no one, can no one speak English when they made these tables? Like what's going on? So in the King James, it says, this do in remembrance of me. In the ESV that I'm preaching from today, it says, do this in remembrance of me. I wish they'd just carve that a different way. But, um, but that King Jimmy remains a little bit. But that's, that's why that's engraved on the front of those communion tables, is because we do it in memorial of Jesus and his death. We look back and we remember. Now, a strict memorialist view of communion will stop there. They'll say that's all communion is. And if that's all communion is, I kind of understand only doing it on fifth Sunday nights or once a year. But I don't think we should stop there. Because communion surely is something done in memory of Christ. But that would mean to forget that Jesus is not dead. Amen? He rose from the dead. He is present with his church. Matthew 28 says, Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. At the, there, there's something about his presence. At the retreat um, this past weekend, we're laying in bed and the lights are off and my kids are supposed to be going to sleep. My boys are laying there awake and Tava breaks the silence and he says, I think I heard mom whisper just now. And I'm like, what'd she say? And he said, she said, did you brush your teeth? And Micah says, oh my gosh, I heard it too. Now, I'm, I'm in the same cab, and I heard nothing, but I thought it was funny, so I text Amanda, and I'm like, the boys think they heard you say, did you brush your teeth? And she says, oh my gosh, I just asked Maya if she brushed her teeth back at home, and I'm like, Amanda's got some powers. I don't... <laughs> some Holy Spirit gifting there. This is like, even when we're away from her, she's still present with us. Um, but that's, that's kind of what's happening in communion. It, to, to be strictly a memorialist would forget the fact that Jesus is present with us right now. He's in our presence. And when we take this bread and, and juice in remembrance of him, we are remembering him, but we're also with him. He's present with us. See, communion is a reminder that Jesus is with us. Verse 23, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. Now, you got a bunch of dudes up in this upper room um, eating lamb together. And I, and I just imagine the jovialness that, that happens when a bunch of guys get together. And, and we see the religious ceremony that's recorded in the Bible, but doesn't always fill in the gaps. And I guarantee you there are just moments of laughter, friendship, fellowship. In the Greek language, it's koinonia, um, that, that as the church, we're supposed to have this sweet fellowship together. And they're all sharing, they're all drinking out of the same cup, which is unheard of in the days of COVID, Right. Uh, they, ha they have a common cup because they have a common union. That's where we get the word communion from. We, have, we share in a common union. And so communion, the word communion isn't in Scripture, but by calling the Lord's Supper communion, we identify its nature, which is rooted in presence. 
the presence of Jesus and the presence of one another. It's fellowship with God. It's fellowship with God because he's inviting us to his holy table. And it's fellowship with others because it's meant to be done with the church. You're not supposed to be just sitting at home eating crackers and be like the body of Christ, you know, and feeding yourself Ritz or whatever. Okay? It's meant to be done in the church. It's like when we were kids, we always just baptize each other in our above ground pool. <laughs> like, that didn't count because it's supposed to be in the church. Now, you think about a table. A table will host meals, but it hosts so much more than meals, doesn't it? At least at my home. My home, actually, the table's used for a lot of other things besides meals. We tend to eat around a train table in the floor of our living room because that's how we roll. It's just like Eastern. We love Eastern culture, so we sit on the ground and stuff. Um, (laughs) But the table hosts much more than meals, or at least it should. It's a place of homework. It's a place of discipline. It's a place of tough conversations. It's a place of building model cars together. It's a place to play board games. It's a place to pray. It's a place to laugh, et cetera, et cetera. And by gathering his church around a spiritual table in communion, Jesus is inviting us into his koinonia, his fellowship, his presence with us. Now, Catholics believe in something called transubstantiation, which is, if you know anything about church history, Martin Luther, that guy that on October 31st, 1517, nailed 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg. He had 95 problems, almost like Jay-Z. He had 95 problems with the Catholic church. One of those problems was the doctrine of transubstantiation, which is the doctrine uh, the, the Catholic Church still teaches, by the way, that, that the bread that you partake in communion and the wine that you drink somehow literally changes in your mouth or, or in that process after it's blessed, literally changes into the body and blood of Jesus. Now, I know that sounds a little spooky, but let me just put you at ease. We don't believe that. Like we get this stuff at Piggly Wiggly. I don't think it does. I don't think it transforms or does anything crazy like that. Um, and that was one of Martin Luther, the big uh, reformer. That was one of his problems. He actually believed in something called consubstantiation, that pr- Christ is present in and above and around the, the elements, the, the bread and the wine, but not necessarily that it's actually changing into his flesh and blood. I would subscribe to something called spiritual presence or means of grace, meaning that Jesus is spiritually present with us when we gather at the table. So I would deny transubstantiation, but I would not deny that something supernatural is occurring when we take communion. The reason I believe that something supernatural is occurring is because the Bible gives us evidence of that. In 1 Corinthians 11, to continue in that passage, verses 29 and 30 tells us this, if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now, this is a scary verse, right? It's like if you take communion in an unworthy manner, you're going to die. You won't be careful with this, right? This is why um, this is, we're not being mean every week when we say if you're not a baptized Christian, don't partake in this. Like we're trying to keep you all alive, all right? So listen to your pastors on this. But because there are supernatural consequences for taking and partaking in communion in an unworthy manner, I believe there are also supernatural blessings that come from partaking in communion in a worthy manner. Now, you don't have to be perfect, but you do confess your sins. If your relationship with Jesus, if you've been obedient to Christ, you confess your sins and you come week after week to this table. It shouldn't terrify you, but it should show you that communion is serious and supernatural. You receive blessing and grace when you receive the bread and the wine. Now, it's not something like the Hulk is going to like, you know, like a Mario mushroom is going to superpower you up. It's not anything kooky like that. But I do think that God is blessing his people as this happens. 
Verse 24 in our passage today, in Mark 14, Jesus says to them, This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The word Jesus uses in, in covenant implies an agreement with a promise in a close relationship. That when we partake in this, God is reaffirming that within us. Jeremiah 31, 31 would have been what the disciples had in mind as he referenced this. This is from the Old Testament. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, the Old Covenant was a blood covenant. If you ever read the story of Abram and God, there are literally animals that are split in half as God makes that covenant. This new covenant would also be ratified by blood, but rather than an animal, it would be the blood and the body of Jesus Christ himself. Through his passion, his death, his resurrection, he would be forever present with his church. And to invite someone to the table is a personal invitation. And what I want you to see week after week is that Jesus continually invites you to his table. Like, it's one thing to invite somebody over once, right? But if you invite somebody back again, like, that means you kind of like them, okay? Um, and, and not just twice or, th- or thrice. Jesus invites us over and over, weak and weary sinners Unworthy, he invites us over and over and over to his table. Now, some people have said, I don't like that you do communion every week. And I just tell them, like, well, don't do communion every week. I don't care. Like, it's here if you want it. But, like, there are times that you might need to abstain from communion. There, there are times that your pastors abstain from communion. If, if you're just in a place where you've just been willfully disobedient, you might need to just take a week off. And, and spend a week fasting and repenting. That's totally fine. But week after week, Jesus is extending an invitation of grace to you. And it's an invitation to remind you of his presence, that he's with you. And so we're a resurrection people. Not only does it remind us of the death of Jesus, but also the resurrection. And so this meal is remembrance and it is presence. But thirdly and finally, it is a meal of anticipation as well. And so communion is anticipation. The Bible speaks of us eating and drinking in the eternal kingdom. Now, like, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I just think it wouldn't really be heaven without some food, right? Without some ale aid or something up in there. And, um, and so I just praise God for passages like Revelation 19 that talk about us eating in heaven. It says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was gathered. Uh, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are the true words of God. This will be a meal like none other. Y'all go to weddings sometimes, right? Like, now some of y'all have had, like I do a lot of weddings. I could be a wedding planner at this point. I'm ashamed to say that, but I could. Um, now, some people, some people really just like spend way too much money on a wedding, but when they do, I'm going to enjoy it because I don't want their money to go to waste, so I'm going to eat a lot. But then, like, you've been to those weddings where it's just like subpar. You can, it's just not the greatest food. And it's not like you go there like, looking for a meal. You're there to celebrate marriage, but you know, if there's food, we'll eat it. Um, but, but this is not going to be like your run-of-the-mill kind of wedding. This is going to be a good supper. It's going to put chilies to shame, amen? It, I mean, it's... Let me give you like a let me give you some advice. When next time you go to Chili's, they have a triple dipper appetizer. Order the triple dipper, and when the waitress asks you what you want in your triple dipper, you say these three things: Southwest egg rolls, 
Southwest egg rolls and Southwest egg rolls. Just triple up on them. That's the real holy trinity of the triple dipper. And, um, and you can thank me later, okay? Um, you get 12 of them. It's great. But the appetizer, like I go to Chili's for the appetizers, not the entree. Now, now communion is like the appetizer of this marriage supper of the Lamb. It's like we're getting, we're getting, I mean, we're even dipping. Like we're triple dipping at our church, right? So it's, it's like we, we have this anticipatory nature of communion that when we partake in the bread and the wine in communion, we are anticipating something much greater to come in the kingdom. And Jesus even anticipates it in our passage today. Look at verse 25. He says, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let that just rest on your mind for a moment. Week after week. Now, whether, like, whether we're supposed to do it every week or not, like, I think Jesus gives us some liberty there. But he has definitely allowed us to partake in this week after week. He's invited us to do this every Lord's Day. And while we are partaking in this, he is abstaining from it. Like while Jesus is fasting, we are feasting on the grace of God. Like don't take that lightly. That, that ought to, like if, if communion has lost its specialness to you, I think if nothing else, this fact should just bring it heavy to your heart. That the Lord is abstaining while he is inviting you to receive and receive and receive. You know, when I went to um, Ukraine, they have a, they have a culture that, that is different than ours. And it, it's customary when you go into a home that they'll prepare a meal for you, and the person who prepared the meal actually abstains from the meal. So they, they literally like go into another room and not talk to you until you're done eating. And, and at first, that was very off-putting for me. That was really weird. Because like, in America, it's like you cook a meal... Like, you make your plate first, thanks for cooking for me, and then I'll sit down and eat with you. But that was, that's not the way they do it in Ukraine. Rather, they'll go out of the room and they want you to enjoy the meal. And what I learned was that was a, a gesture of honor. And it was actually rude if I didn't participate in that culture. And what Jesus is doing by fasting while we feast is proposing upon us a gesture of honor to us who deserve no honor. How could, we, how could we just be flippant with that? Jesus has given us so much. Not just his body and his blood, but his presence and the resurrection that he partook in, we will partake in too. And he says, I'm not going to drink this again until I drink it anew in the kingdom at the marriage supper with you. It brings this anticipation to communion. And I'm finishing up, but let me finish up with this thought. When... When Jews partake, even to this day, when Jews partake in the Passover, I thought this was interesting. Um, they, they, sometimes it's in the form of a song. Sometimes it's just in something they say at the end of the Passover feast. But they always say, next year in Jerusalem. And, and even if they have no intention of going to Jerusalem next year, they say that to each other. And I just thought that was like a weird, so I'm like, where did that tradition come from? Why do they do that? And, you know, so I'm Googling around trying to figure out why Jews do that. And they do it on Passover and they do it on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, as well. And the reason they do that is because they're looking back to their ancestors. That when Passover was instituted originally, it was in Egypt. And they were fleeing from Egypt. And so they, 
You can imagine them eating the Passover meal in haste as they were getting ready to flee out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land. And they're, hey, we're going to do this again next year. Next year, let's do it in Jerusalem. But then if you know the story, that didn't happen. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 Passovers go by, and every year, next year, maybe we'll be in Jerusalem finally. Then they make it to Jerusalem, but then they get conquered because of their disobedience. They're taken into exile. And so they even observe the Passover in exile in Babylon and Assyria. And, and God's people are, are dispersed among the nations. And they honor this tradition. They say, next year in Jerusalem. And so to this day, when Jews partake in the meal, they say, next year in Jerusalem, just to kind of remember that. And for the Christian, we have something so much better, though. It's like we can take communion today and say maybe the next time will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Maybe the next time the Lord is coming back to get us and he has brought us into not just his spiritual presence but his physical presence to celebrate this meal with him. I don't know about you, but I, but I, I long for that. And I know Jesus has work for me to do here, but man, I can't wait to be in his presence. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, I'll finish with this verse. It says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus by eating and drinking today. We proclaim it. And so this continual meal represents what we live by. We live by the Lord's death until he comes to get us or until he takes us home, we live by this. So communion is remembering what it took to get us in a relationship. Communion is the presence of God in fellowship with sinners like us. And communion is anticipation of the joy and the hope that will come to us one day in the eternal kingdom. And you, jacked up sinner, are invited to this meal. If you're not a Christian, if you've not been obedient in baptism... Hang back today. But if you are an obedient, repentant Christian, it does not matter what you've done. You are welcome at this table by God's grace. And in it, you will receive more grace. What a wonderful truth. Amen? And so as you come today, we have servants that are going to give to you what represents the body of Jesus and what represents the blood of Jesus. And you're going to tear off a piece of bread. And as you tear it, I want you to remember that Jesus' flesh was torn in his passion for you. And as you dip it in the juice, I want you to remember that just as that bread will be soaked in juice, his body was soaked in his blood as it was poured out to pay for your sins. And you do this in remembrance like a funeral, but also in presence like a Sunday supper, and also in anticipation of this great marriage supper. So all of those range, all that, all that range and mix of emotions, I want you to feel all that in a worshipful heart this morning. And my prayer for you, church, is maybe if it's just felt routine for a little while, then maybe you just realize this is the routine I need to feel. This is the routine I need to be in. This is a good routine because it's grace to me. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.